0: A joyous good morning to each and every one of you join here today on our website, www.godsredeemed.org, the website of the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ, located here in Murfreesboro at 2091 Pitts Lane. We would love for you to join us for our worship service and our Wednesday night Bible study, by all means. <clears throat> Following this class, if you'll go back to the home page, You'll notice the elders' advisory for us during this uncertain time of the COVID virus and how to uh, care for one another uh, to keep each other from being contaminated or contaminating one another. So please go back and read that carefully and plan to join us if you would and you're in the area. Uh, As I said, we would love to uh, worship with you. We're studying in our classes this period. Uh, the book of 1st Corinthians, and today we're in chapter 8. Lots of things have concerned the church at Corinth, some that was told by Chloe and her household, some that Paul knew from others who had spoken to him about the various uh, disorder uh, that were going on here at the church. There was incest, there was Uh, carnality, there were questions about marriage, there were questions about uh, taking a brother to court, there were questions about fornication, and today the question is going to be concerning meat sacrifice to idols in chapter 8 and going through uh, chapter 11 and verse 1. This was a very difficult thing for some Christians in Corinth to understand. And things of different uh, appeals uh, to weaker Christians are not always understood and sometimes we can provide a stumbling block if knowingly we do something before a weaker Christian that may cause him to either violate his conscience or simply uh, fall away because of maybe his distress or his discouragement at something that we have uh, done. And so we begin this study. This is going to be part one. Next week will be uh, our finishing lesson on the idea of eating meats. But as we begin, we need to understand that a letter was written to Paul and it asked uh, three questions of Paul. First, could a Christian enter into an idol's temple and participate in the feast? Many of the Temples of idolatry offered free uh, public feasts uh, in order to bring the public into contact with them, and they provided free food. And some of this food was uh, that which had been sacrificed to idols, and they were concerned. Can we go to these uh, feasts, and can we eat the food uh, and sort of get a free meal and be okay? The second question was, could a Christian eat meat sacrificed to idols that were sold in the marketplace? Many times uh, following sacrifices, the meat of the animals, not all of it was sacrificed, would be divided up uh, between the priests of that temple and uh, the uh, worshipers who had come to pay their tributes to these false gods. And they would take these meats uh, and sometimes into their homes and other times they would take them to the market since they were in uh, really good condition and they would make a little profit off of that and uh, they were being sold in the marketplace. And the third question that they asked Paul, uh, could a Christian participate in a private feast in another's home using the meats that were sacrificed to idols? In other words, if I'm at someone's home, They've invited me there for a meal and they're serving some of this meat, uh, whether they got it personally or whether they bought it in the market or it was given to them. Uh, <clears throat> could I participate in that meal and uh, participate in their hospitality? These were important questions and I think you have to imagine uh, in this city that we've talked about before, where uh, carnality and worldliness uh, was rampant, and they had a, a background. Many of the uh, Christians in Corinth had a background growing up in idolatry, and they were probably uh, concerned that they continued to do these things. But was it okay? And so, as we as we look at these questions, we're going to be uh, studying uh, chapters 8 through 11 and verse 1, and this is uh, the area that Paul uses in his letter to them to address these three questions, and we might break it down as follows. First of all, uh, again they're found in 8, 1 through 11, the problems related to eating meats, which we're going to talk about today in chapter 8, verse 1 through 13. The apostle's decision to waive his rights in chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. The peril of the strong brother, <clears throat> as opposed to the weaker brother. How that simply knowing right from wrong does not always work when it's not uh, wrapped in love. And so simply being strong in the faith and knowing what's right and what's wrong is not always everything that we need to know and to put into action. And finally, uh, in chapter 10, and going through the end of that and and, uh, the first verse of chapter 11, we're going to look at Paul's final uh, statement of principles. And we think of this section, uh, this block of material, Uh, as being related to meat sacrifice with idols. And to do that, we have to understand what was entailed in these sacrifices. When an animal was sacrificed, as I said, only a small portion was used, uh, and a very small portion of that was burned. And so, they took, uh, the priest took a part of that animal, And they kept it for themselves, for their own personal use, and then a part was taken by the worshiper. And the worshiper could do anything he wanted with it. He could take it home and prepare it uh, for supper. Uh, He could take it down to the market and sell it. He could use it if he had uh, some guests coming to feed them, whatever he wanted to do. And on some occasions, this public uh, public feast that we talked about was given so that the whole city could come into the temple and they would prepare meals which included some of these meats that were sacrificed to idols. And not every sacrifice was attended uh, by the public and not every uh, period of sacrifice had a feast. But when the sacrificed animal was divided, the priest used what was his and the worshiper used what was part of theirs and they did what they wanted to. No doubt uh, because of the condition of this meat when it was sold at uh, the market, it was sold at a good price. It was considered premium meat uh, because those worshipers wanted to offer the very best uh, to their false gods. They attributed the uh, value to it being offered to whatever idol was in the city, and so it upped the price. Those who were indifferent uh, to the meat uh, would often buy it and be willing to pay a high price. So, the first problem that we're going to look at is eating of meats. Addressed there in chapter 8, verse 1 through 13, Paul says that, the way of knowledge is inadequate in verses 1 through 3. In other words, simply having an understanding, a knowledge that, well, uh, they're just worshiping a false god and there's no god to that, so it's just kind of like play church, and forgive me for that uh, analogy. But it wasn't important. The meat was not offered to a real god, and so therefore uh, it could be okay. And there's the likelihood that Paul is quoting the Corinthians when he says we all have knowledge. This seems to be true, but based on verse 7, there's not in every man that knowledge. Not everyone in Corinth had the knowledge that, well, these gods are false. They're not real. Uh, They're just uh, made of stone or wood. Uh, They're carved images and it's okay to do what we want to with those uh, idols. The argument that the Corinthians made was that eating the meal sacrificed to idols was indifferently, morally, okay because everyone knew there was no real God. But to counter the argument, Paul says the weakness of knowledge and the strength of knowledge can be problems. If we act solely on the basis of what is right, we may forget to do that with love. And have you seen people that, yes, they're right, uh, but there was no love in in them correcting someone? Does it bring to mind our Savior, Jesus Christ? Did the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, bring their so-called knowledge and yet had no love? Well, uh, in chapter 8 and verse 1, One who's like this, one who depends on his knowledge may have this superior attitude that that is caused by his knowledge and he's arrogant or he's puffed up. And we need to look at that closely. Acting solely on the basis of what we know may cause him to forget that his brother, his weaker brother, hasn't attained the knowledge that he has. And he may cause that weaker brother to violate his conscience and lose his soul. So a person needs to act not just on the basis of what I know according to Scripture, but love needs to accompany him. Love edifies chapter 8 and verse 1. And Paul reminds the Corinthians in in, uh, the next verse that they may not know what they think they know, You ever known someone like that, who thinks he knows a lot, but yet not really as much as he thinks he does? Sometimes we as Christians, who have been Christians for a good while, we rest on the knowledge that we've gained in classes like this, or uh, from the pulpit, or our study, or our uh, ability to minister the Word in our neighborhoods and elsewhere. But sometimes we're quick to correct and not quick to ensure that we're correcting with love. And this is what some of the Corinthians were probably doing. And as such, they were causing the weaker brother to fall. The man who arrogantly thinks he doesn't know what he ought to know doesn't remember what Jesus said in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and verse 39. He said, The greatest commandment. Besides, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, is to love your neighbor as yourself, and that includes your brother especially. He's going to know that he can't act solely on the basis of his knowledge, but also has to consider the needs of his neighbor or his younger brother. And the man who acts on the basis of love will consider the needs of his neighbor or his brother, the one who truly loves God, and loves his neighbor, will be known of God. But there is one God, not these gods that they were worshiping there in the temples, and there were several temples located in the church, or in the city of Corinth, and Paul states this principle, this monotheistic principle, emphatically. There is but one God. An idol is nothing. Therefore, yes, you're right. There is no God in reality who's represented by an idol. As has been said time and time again, these are uh, wooden images, stone, maybe some precious metals, but they can't see, they can't hear, they can't talk, they can't change anything in your life. Other than to dig you deeper and deeper uh, towards the second death. But in reality there is only one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And so it's not polytheism that is true. It's not henotheism, and that's the concept of there being many gods, but all are submissive to one superior God. Uh, to some extent, the Nor- uh, Mormons believe this. And although the world recognizes many lords and gods, there's no reality in that fact. There's no fact to it. The one God is the Father, Jehovah who created all things, Paul says in verse 6. And he says, We are in him. We in him. This last phrase, we in him, means we Christians have been created for His purpose. Those of us who love Him, those of us who believe in Him, and therefore those of us who bear fruit, we've been created for His purpose. In fact, all mankind has been created for that. Some refuse to, and some reject that idea. But this phrase, we in Him, means that as we love Him and as we do His will, We are for his goodness and pleasure. The one Lord is distinct from the one God with reference to person, but not with reference to essence. For as we've been studying on Wednesday night concerning the Godhead, uh, they're distinct from each other as persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they all have the same characteristics. They all have the same purpose. They all have the same heart. Now, if you and I were to stand next together, we're different. Uh, I may wear reading glasses, you may have contacts. My hair may be uh, graying, you may have fire red hair. But we all have the image of humans, don't we? We have arms and legs and feet and we can talk and hear, but Jesus is the agent by whom all things were created and the Savior through whom we're created to the Father. We by him. Look at what John 1 and verse 3 says. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews the third chapter. He is beginning in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Pardon me. So Paul says in our third point that the limitations imposed because some are, are weaker Christians is a limitation that is part of our love, that we limit ourselves sometimes on what we're free to partake in. Not all the Christians completely understood that idolatry had no object uh, reality, that there was no God behind what was worshiped. They'd been brought up that way, many of them, worshiping these idols and eating meat sacrificed to idols, and they did so in the past some of them still do. And their uh, their consciences were weak and defiled in verse 7. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Paul said there's nothing inherently sinful in eating meats that have been sacrificed to an idol. But in verse 8 he says, but meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we don't eat are we the worse. Pardon me. So in matters that were neither mandated nor inherently sinful, the Christian has to take heed that using his liberty doesn't become a a stumbling block for another, verse 9. And this could happen. It could happen very easily in the event that a person who thought that eating meats was being sacrificed to idols was offering worship to that idol. And maybe he was emboldened by what he saw his brother do to act in violation of the dictates of his own conscience. He violated his conscience because what he thought was wrong, he sees another brother uh, taking part in. And therefore, he goes ahead and because the brother did, he does too, not knowing uh, the answer to what his conscience forbade before. So, Paul uh, paints this picture of a strong brother who knows that an idol is nothing and that eating meats sacrificed to these idols is morally neutral, goes into an idol's temple on one of these public days to participate in the feast, And the young brother believes that participating in the feast is offering worship to the idol. But when he sees his brother attending the feast, he decides to participate as well. He acts in violation of his conscience. And by violating uh, his conscience, by doing something which is perfectly good, but not acceptable or legal in his mind, he sins. In chapter 10, which we'll look at next week in more uh, detail. Paul says that participating in such a feast in an idol's temple is not morally neutral, as the strong brother might have thought. Some people look at this passage and and, uh, come up with a different view, but we have to read all of the uh, chapters 8 through 11 and verse 1 to understand that Paul's not saying it's okay to go in Uh, the brother to go into the temple in the first place. He says, Indeed, one who thought he knew so much did not know as much as he thought. Rather, he was guilty of idolatry and the practice was forbidden. So you see, he may have thought that even though this God they were worshiping is not a living being. Nevertheless, he went in and entered this temple and took place Uh, took practice of what was going on uh, there in the temple. And so he says in this context, he passes over the sinful conduct uh, to discuss its impact on a brother. And so we'll look at these feasts later on in chapter 10. He did not address the fact that this brother was in the temple and partaking of the meats. He's going to use that later on, but he's showing how easy it is for someone who's weak to be fooled or enticed to violate his conscience. And he emphasizes that this weak brother has acted solely from knowledge without regard uh, to any love because he wasn't given any love. That the older brother did not care uh, enough about the weaker brother to do something uh, that would cause him to sin. And so what Paul says in verse 11 is, through thy knowledge, he asks this question, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Christ died to save sinners. And here uh, is this stronger brother in the faith causing the weaker brother to sin again. And so Paul says by sinning against one's brother, we are sinning against Christ. Chapter 8 and verse 12, Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Do you remember when Christ is on the judgment day judging those who stand before him and he's talking to them about the things they did or failed to do in life? They didn't clothe the naked, they didn't visit the sick, they didn't do all the things That they should have done out of love. And yet Jesus says, because you didn't do those to your brother or your neighbor, you didn't do them to me. To those who were acceptable, because they did visit the sick, because they did clothe the naked, because they did perform acts of love to strangers, he said, you did that for me. And so our acts are done either for or against Christ. Matthew 25 and verse 40, he talks about those who did it to him. Acts 8 and verse 3, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Then over in the very next chapter, chapter 9, beginning in verse 4, He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' And he said, "'Who are you, Lord?' And he said, "'I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting.'" You see, all those women that he was dragging out of the house, all of the families that he was breaking up, the Christians who were being imprisoned, tormented, and jailed. Jesus said, "'Paul, you're doing that against me.'" And so Paul, as he looks at what's going on there in the church of Corinth, says, you know, as long as it offends my brothers in some cases, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And that lays down the principle that should govern the strong. Sometimes we ought to forego those things that we're able to do uh, in light of understanding that there may be something a younger brother uh, (laughs) feels is a violation of his conscience if he were to take part in. If you were to invite a brother over to uh, play gin rummy or play a card game, but the brother doesn't really believe in cards, playing cards of any kind, and there are people uh, who are like that. And you say, well, you know, we're going to be here and brother so-and-so will be here and brother so-and-so will be here and we all enjoy playing a game of cards. You ought to come over, we'll teach you how and we'll show you that there's no gambling going on. Well, you might entice that brother. Uh, since uh, the other brethren are there to come and play cards, though he doesn't believe in that. And so Paul said this idea of meat, whether it has been offered to idols or not, if the brother knows that I'm offering some meat, I'm not going to serve that that's been offered to idols. It's a wonderful point, but it's something that I don't think we think about all the time because many people uh, harbor these things that they've grown up with, that uh, their conscience forbids them to do, that in their minds are uh, not the Christian thing to do. And you can probably think of others uh, playing instrumental music uh, for hymns in the home, uh, other things that cause friction. You, We can be just as guilty of Uh, murdering their relationship, so to speak, as Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, as anything else. But we need to be careful. And those things that are questionable that we invite our brethren to, we need to be mindful of the weaker brethren. And those things that we participate in, we need to be careful about talking about those things that some people object to. Whether it be uh, going to the movie house, whether it be eating uh, pork, whether it be uh, anything that people, uh, if they were to do, violates their conscience, Paul says we need to forego it. We need to just not do that until With love, we bring the brother to a proper understanding. And so we're going to stop here today. We're going to look at the idea of eating meats uh, offered to idols next week with relationship uh, to what chapters 9 and 10 have to say. So if you haven't read those, be sure and read them. God willing, we'll uh, take up there next week and continue our study. In the meantime, if you have questions, please uh, note them here on the uh, website and I will be sure to get them. You can email us or you can, if you're on Facebook, you can add uh, your questions or comments either in a private message or at the end in the comments section. We're awful glad you came by today and I hope this has been an encouragement to you as we continue our study of Paul and the Church of Corinth. Until next week, we'll see you then.